Which please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at uh, Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. We've been doing a series on the book of, and life of Nehemiah, entitled Fulfilling Your Part in God's Story. Uh, We'll put the walls of Jerusalem up there as they would have looked back at this time about 2,500 years ago, 4 or 500 B.C. And what Nehemiah was used by God to do is to inspire about 38 leaders to then go mobilize about 42 different groups of people in order to reconstruct the defensive fortifications around the city of, uh, of, of, of Jerusalem so that uh, business could prosper, so that education could prosper, so that the worship of God could prosper. And the city back then would have contained about 176 acres, and so they were reconstructing the defenses around this so that things could thrive within the city. They were rebuilding the city of God, uh, making it into a city to worship, honor, and to glorify God. And God is doing that through our church as well. And I just really want to encourage you to be here, if at all possible, next Sunday. I believe next Sunday is going to be one of the greatest, most encouraging, inspiring days in the 148-year history of our church. And if you're in town, I urge you to be here next Sunday. If you aren't able, if you're out of town, you're not able to be here, could you join us online? And if you're not able to do that on next Sunday morning, by the end of the day, we will have up on our website, we will have my sermon uh, next Sunday up on our website by the end of the day. And we're going to talk about what God is doing in the city of Pomona and what he's doing through you, whether you live in the city of Pomona or whether you drive in from different places, as we were talking about last Sunday, how God calls people from other places to here in the same way he called people that worked around Jerusalem and lived in other places around Jerusalem to come to Jerusalem to restore and to revitalize that which was going on in that city. And God has called you to do that. He's laid it on your heart to be here. And we're going to talk about unbelievably exciting things that are happening within the city, how we are right in the thick of it. Our church is right in the midst of it. And, it's, and, and the impact of our church, the worldwide impact of our church is going to just multiply geometrically. And it is going to be such an exciting Sunday, and I really encourage you uh, to be there. Now, in part one of Nehemiah, we talked about having a holy discontentment where God leads you to want to change something in the world for Christ. And then in part two, we talked about the power of everybody, how God mobilizes people around similar passions in order to change things uh, for the sake of Christ. And now we come to part three, that once you start fulfilling your part in God's story, you will experience attack. Satan will leave you alone. As long as we're dormant, as long as we're status quo uh, as a church, Satan's just going to leave us alone. He's got us right where he wants us. But as soon as we begin to move, as things begin to change, uh, change brings about friction, movement brings about friction, and it brings about attack. And so you're going to get attacked. As soon as you try to start trying to fulfill your part in God's story, you, you will get attacked, and you can expect it, and we're going to see that exemplified in the life of Nehemiah uh, here this morning. I, I love this quote by Kenton B. Shore. Um, He's one of my heroes, uh, been pastor for 40 years 
of the Mariner's Church, tremendous church uh, down in Irvine. And I know uh, he, he just retired after being a pastor there for 40 years. I know he looks 40 years old. Those doggone Orange County pastors, man, that's a, that's a, they all look down there. And, uh, and he wrote this, which I've shared with our pastors here, and it, it really involves everybody that's involved in any kind of service uh, for God. Um, Kenton Bishore said, surviving in ministry long-term is a matter of pain management. Surviving in ministry long-term is a matter of pain management. And boy, pastors resonate with that. And I would say any of you that are involved in serving God, anybody serving God, uh, you will come under attack. And surviving long-term in serving God, uh, you could put so many things in there. Uh, Surviving in teaching Long-term is a matter of pain management. I was talking to some teachers today that the summer is here, and they were giving me high fives at the earlier service. Kristen, who's one of the praise band over here, I said, are you done for the summer? And she just starts shouting in church and giving me a high five and surviving in whatever it is God has called you to do. It's serving, teaching Sunday school for second graders, uh, leading a, a, a group of kids in kids camp or, or whatever God has called you to do in, in the ministry of our church security or greeting or homeless ministry or, or fighting human trafficking or whatever it might be. Surviving in ministry long term is a matter of p- pain management because you will come, come under attack. And so today we're talking about surviving a personal attack. Common ways that people attack us. Number one is ridicule. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. Now let's hold it there for just a second. Sanballat in the original Hebrew means thorn in secret. Thorn in secret. And he is going to be a thorn in the side of Nehemiah for the entire book of Nehemiah. A thorn in secret. He, he was a, a pain in his foot is where he was a pain. He was a pain in his hand. All right. He was a thorn in secret, a thorn in his side. Uh, Let's continue with verse two. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. This is what's known as construction trash talk from 400 uh, B.C. They said, what you just built, if even a fox hopped up on it, it would break down their wall of stones. And so they made fun of them because they were amateurs. They said, who do you think you are? You're not the king's construction crew. You're, you're not a mobilized uh, king's army to do this thing. You're just a bunch of amateurs. I love a quote. I saw this last week. Got such a kick out of it. It said this, remember that the ark, that is Noah's ark, remember that the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. Isn't that good? <laughs> Noah's ark was built by amateurs But the Titanic was built by professionals. Now, how do you respond to ridicule? You pray and just keep on working. Uh, Verse 4, he says, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Now, this is quite a prayer here. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. 
So we rebuilt the wall. I love that. You know, they, they ridiculed him. They pray about it. And so we rebuilt the wall. Just ignored the ridicule. Ignored the criticism. Ignored the, the taunting and the trash talking. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all of their heart. Now the second thing is violence. And this is found in verses 7 and 8. It, actually, there's physical violence, intimidation that takes place. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. Verse 8. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Skipping down to verse 11. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. How do you respond to violence? You trust God and protect yourself. Spiritually, you trust God. But practically, you take concrete steps in order to protect yourself. Look at verse 14 of what Nehemiah has him do. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great. You can trust God. Remember the Lord. And, and I would just say to you, maybe you're here today, and God just invited you for this one thing. This is the one thing. You're going through a hard time in your life. You're going through some difficulty. You feel under attack. Here's the one word God maybe invited you here to say. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. You know one of the reasons I just love coming to church is that when I walk in here on a Sunday morning, my problems are this big, and my perspective of God is this big. Now, God's not that big. God doesn't change. He's always big. But my perspective of Him is this big. And so my problems seem big compared to God. But by the end of our time together, of worshiping, singing praise songs, studying God's Word, uh, praying together, just being together, in Christian fellowship, just, just being with people of like mind. By the time I leave, God is now, my perspective of him is now this big, and my problems are smaller by comparison. Just by worshiping, just by studying his word, just by being with other Christians. I, this is a little bit of a tangent, but um, I, I got a kick out of this. This past week, the winner of the National Spelling Bee uh, that won for the whole nation. Do you know what word he won with? Anybody know the word? Koinonia, koinonia, that is, the, that is the Greek word for Christian fellowship is koinonia. And he won by spelling correctly uh, koinonia. And koinonia is something, along with worship, along with the study of God's word, that helps us to remember that God is great and that he is awesome. Back to verse 14 uh, once again. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Verse 15, going on to verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. I love this. The spiritual one said, let's just trust God and go back to the work. And then the not-so-spiritual one said, Let's go fight them and forget about the work. But Nehemiah gets them in a nice balance with each other. Half of the men did the work. The other half, he gives spears, shields, boards, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah. And so you trust God 
when you're under a threat and intimidation. But then you take concrete steps to protect yourself. You know, I, I, just, I just feel led to say this word um, of, a, of an example. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. If, if you're being hit by your spouse, you can't continue to live in that situation and think everything is just going to be okay. You've got to trust God, but you've also got to, got to take some steps to protect yourself. And I don't know who that word is for, but I just feel led to share that word as well. Uh, number three is distraction. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Sometimes God's up in heaven saying, can I make it any more clear? Okay, can I make it any more clear? I mean, Kimberly's maiden name was Hazard. And, and then, then I could, you know, playing, complain, Lord, she's just brought me on such an exciting spiritual journey. My life has been hazardous from the day we met. He said, how much plainer could I have made it, Glenn? She was hazardous to my comfort zone. She was hazardous to the status quo in my life. And so, come let us meet together in one of the villages of the plain of Ono. But they were scheming. They were scheming to harm me. Now, this was just a distraction. And sometimes distractions come with, from bad people that want to harm you. Sometimes it can be in the form of your friends or people that you think are your friends that have good things. I mean, I am distracted more by good things than I am by, by bad things away from the thing that God has called me to do for eternity. And this, oh no, this would have taken some time. This wasn't just a little casual conversation. It was 20 miles to the north of Jerusalem. He's going to say, I can't come down to you. And that's because Jerusalem was at 2,474 feet elevation. And so this plain would have been more at sea level. So down about 2,500 feet uh, and then coming back up once again. So it would have been a day to get there. It would have been a day of meetings. Now they were plotting to assassinate him. But even if they didn't do that, they would take one day going down, one day in meetings, one day coming back up again. And he said, you know, he basically said, nobody's got time for that. You know, I don't have time for that because of this great work that God has called me to. How do you respond to distractions? You stay focused on God's purpose in your life, his ultimate purpose, his eternal purpose, verses 3 and 4. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. What God is doing in your life to write your part of God's story is a great project. Don't let anything distract you from it. I am carrying on a great project. God is doing a great thing through. You may not even realize it, but if you're simply being obedient to what God has called you, it may seem like a small, simple thing. But if God has called you to do that thing, you are carrying on a great project and you cannot be distracted by lesser things. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down and go down to you? Verse 4. Four times they sent me the same message. Distractions don't just come and you resist them and they go away. They come back again and again and again. Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I, I gave them, I gave them uh, the same answer. Stay focused on God's purpose. That's why here at Purpose Church we have one vision. Just one vision, everyone everywhere following Jesus. 
Uh, we, have, we have one mission, one mission, helping people find their purpose to connect with God, connect uh, with others, and connect others with God. Uh, we have uh, five values, core values, found people, find people. We're better together. Growing people change. Everyone is designed to serve, and generous people transform the world. And we have four ways, priorities, of getting that done. Big, small, serve, and oikos. Uh, everybody should have a big. Everybody should be worshiping God at least once a week. And if you're out of town, find another Bible-believing church where, you can, where Christ is honored, where you can worship. Everybody should be in worship once a week. Everybody should have a big. Everybody should have a small. We should have some area where we go, where we experience koinonia, where we go face-to-face with other Christians so that we can be encouraged and so we can be challenged. Um, if you want to find a group, you can go back to our Connect Center, and there are groups that meet all through the week. Maybe this summer is the time when you're going to find, I don't know, sometimes summer is as busy as any other time of the year, but sometimes you find a little bit of breathing room, and maybe you're going to find a small a group to connect with this summer. Uh, inserted in your program today, there was a set of Sunday morning classes And do you know that you can just walk out of here after this is over? You can walk out of your big to your small. And your children, the child care continues. Let me give you a little secret. Child care is provided all three hours. And so what children's ministry would tell me to preach is big, small, serve. Okay, Um, go to your small group, uh, worship, and then serve the, the third hour. But check this out. There are eight different options. You could walk out of here after your big into one of these eight different classes where you can experience Christian fellowship and koinonia face-to-face. So big, small, serve. Everybody should have a place where they serve other people or serve God. And everybody should be attempting to take their oikos with them to heaven. Oikos, Greek word for household. The eight to 15 in your sphere of influence. The assignment everybody has. The great project, the eternal project that God has for everybody is for you to go to heaven and to take your oikos with you. Stay focused on God's purpose. Everybody should have a big, a small, a serve, and should be on their way to heaven and taking their oikos with them. And then number four is rumors. Um, how many of you have ever been attacked by rumors? You know, th- things that are said about you that are not true. I, I remember when I was a young pastor, a little country town, Homer, New York, had a little village green that looked like a Norman Rockwell village and surrounded by farms. And I was 24 years old. I was single, living by myself in the church parsonage that was next to the church. And across this little warm summer night, walking across the the village green there to a little grocery store that was on the other side, got myself a can of Coke and walked on the way back. And somebody spotted me and began to spread the rumor that the new young pastor at the Baptist church was walking across the Homer green with a can of beer in his hand. As if I would be that stupid, you know, yeah, in order to do that. And, and, and so that, that rumor spread. I remember a number of years later, um, I had a kind of a dumpy old car that I drove. And, and my assistant, however, my secretary had a fantastic car. Her husband had a great job with the railroad. And so she had a fantastic car, and she would park it right in front of our office. So the rumor spread through the village that there's no way that pastor can afford that car on a pastor's salary, so he must be stealing from the church. He must be uh, lifting from the offering plate. And so, and you've had those things, you know, where people have said things about you that are not true. And Nehemiah did as well. Verse 5, it says, Then the fifth time, remember, four times distraction. Now the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. This is interesting. An unsealed letter. 
You see, during this time, a letter was usually written on a piece of papyrus or leather, and it was rolled up and tied with a string and then sealed with wax. But this letter was left open so that anyone could read it. It was like posting on Facebook. You know, instead of spreading our rumor, you know, one to one, we put it right out there. Instead of a private communication, a public one on Facebook so that anyone and everyone can read uh, that, that particular thing. And then verse 6, in which was written, here was the unsealed letter that anybody could read. And it could spread all over the place. It is reported among the nations. Well, that's the ultimate they said. Don't you love that? So I said, they said. Well, tell me some names. No, they. Well, how many is they? No, just they. They. It is reported among the nations. They say, and Geshem says it's true. And if Geshem says it's true, it's got to be true. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. Very dangerous rumor. I mean, if this got back to the king, this is the kind of stuff that gets you shut down at best and executed at worst. And are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become, you are about to become their king. And so, uh, how do you respond to those kind of rumors? This is just a flat-out lie. Just a flat-out lie. But it was a lie that would have instilled fear and distrust in the people. Rumors are full of exaggerations and inaccuracies, and they're designed to hurt people. I get such a kick out of this story, and, it, and it's really stupid, but I still really love it. Um, there was a gossip, town gossip, named Joan. She accused a guy named George of being a drunk because she saw his pickup truck parked outside the town's only bar. George said nothing when he heard about the rumor. But the next night, he parked his pickup truck in front of Joan's house. And he left it there all night long. I don't even know George, but I love him so much. I love him so much. Um, what do you do when somebody starts an ugly uh, rumor about you? How, 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 how do you respond to rumors? You pray about it, and you take steps to defend yourself. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. I send him this reply. Nothing like what you said or saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Oh God, strengthen my hands. Double down on my resolve to do this thing because anything that has opposition to it must be something God wants done. If you sense Satan is unhappy with what you're doing, keep doing it with twice the effort as before. Double down on it. He says, God, strengthen my hands because this opposition that I believe to be false and satanic must be a compliment to me that I'm doing something that makes the enemy upset. Now, there's a time to defend yourself. And Nehemiah tries to set the record straight. But you know how that is sometimes. It's like nailing jello to a wall. You know, it doesn't help that much. So prayer becomes the key to fighting this battle. God, don't let any false accusations stick. Lord, protect me from slander. Lord, my good name is all that I have and my reputation matters. Oh, Lord, protect me. Strengthen my hands. And then number five, temptation. Temptation. Uh, it says in, in, in verse 10, 
One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. Now what's going on here is that he's pretending to be Nehemiah's friend, but he wasn't. And sometimes your friends will try to lead you astray. Sometimes your friends may not have your best interest in mind. See, Numbers 18, verse 7, uh, God says to Aaron, you and your sons are the only ones that can go into the temple. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to death. Uh, Uzziah, that we studied a, a while back in, in one of the series that we had, was even, he was even king, but he wasn't allowed to come into the temple because he wasn't a priest. And he got struck by God with leprosy. And so they were trying to trick him into doing something. Sometimes people are going to act like friends, but they're really just trying to uh, lead you into sin. And, and, and so um, he's trying to trick him into doing this thing out of fear. Out of fear, he's going to not trust God. God had protected him until that point. But out of fear, he was going to try to get him to jump into something that would be a sin and that would be wrong. So how do you respond to temptation? You know, the Bible has different ways to face different types of temptation. Do you know there's not a one-size-fits-all for facing temptation? For example, um, with sexual sin, the Bible never tells you to stand firm and pray. What does the Bible always tell you to do with sexual sin? Run. Run, Forrest, run. Run, Navy SEAL, run. Just just like that guy said, that's what the Bible always says with sexual temptation. Sexual temptation. Just run. Get out of there. But sometimes we are to stand firm and pray and obey. Because fear and worry will cause us to jump away from something that God would have protected us from into sin that now he will no longer protect us from. So they were saying, hey, be afraid for your life and run into the temple. God would protect his life, but once he ran into the temple, then at at best it would have been a rumor that they could have spread that would have been true that he was where he should not have been. But at worst, his life would have been taken. Uh, So how do you respond to temptation? In this case, you pray and obey. And then chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. But I said, should a man like me run away? That a great line. Should a man like me run away? If it was sexual temptation, yes. But in this situation... To run away into sin. Should a man like me run away? Hold on to that thought. In about two minutes, we're going to close before we go into the Lord's Supper. And we're going to come back to that verse. Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Verse 12. I realize that God had not sent him. See, false prophecy is when somebody tells you something is from God, but it's not from God. God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name in order to discredit me. Which leads to our final one, number six, is false prophecies. Uh, Verse verse 14. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Uh, somebody saying that God told them to tell you something that God didn't say. I got a prophecy this week, just a couple days ago, in the mail. And it was very nicely, you know, written, lead pastor, Glenn Gunderson, Purpose Church. 
uh, very well typed up, didn't look like a whack job at all. It was from Walnut, and I trust about anything that comes out of Walnut, you know. And so I, I, I get this here, and I open it up, and it was a guy that said he had been called by God to warn many Christian leaders in California regarding the great earthquake. And so he said his prophecy is that a massive earthquake will soon strike California. So I, you know, I, I pray about it, take that seriously, want, want to test it and consider it. But here's what his application of this warning was. He says, here's what God is saying. Evacuate and move to the upper Midwest. That was what you're supposed to do as a result of this prophecy. It says, safe areas may be found in the upper Midwest. Farm and ranch properties can be purchased now. Now, I don't doubt that we probably will have some kind of earthquake in the future. But we're not to run from it. Let's go back to verse 11. Should a man or a woman like me run away? If, if there is something that's happening, we want to be right here serving God and the people of this area. With seeing what God is doing in our church and the remarkable things God is up to, should a church like us run away? See, that was the problem I had when I tested it and prayed about it, was I thought, I don't like the application of it, because the application of it is to just save your own skin and to flee. And with the things that God is doing in our church, and the things He is going to do, and I will share some of those next week, just incredible stuff, where God is going to multiply our global impact and multiply our, our influence within a city, should a church like us run away? You know, 30 years ago... We had a chance as a church to run away. We had a chance, an opportunity to flee to the foothills, to flee to the suburbs, to abandon the city of Pomona. And God told us, oh no, you're not supposed to do that. Should a church like ours run away? And we determined 30 years ago, no, we will not. And I'm going to share some stuff next Sunday that is going to reveal the unfolding of God's plan as to part of the reason why he told us not to run away. And it'll blow your mind. We've already seen it as 30 years of blessed service to, to this city. And, and like I said last Sunday, many of you live in the city and serve here, but many others of you uh, drive from other places. A majority of you drive from other places because God laid it on your heart to come. Like we talked about last Sunday, how people came from neighboring cities to Jerusalem to help restore the defenses so the city could thrive. And God has done that for you as well. And he revealed to us 30 years ago that we were not to run away and we have been faithful to that, and we have realized the reasons for that over and over again. But God has recently revealed some stuff that is going to show us even more why God said to us 30 years ago and why God says that to us today, should a church like us run away? And the answer is no. Stand firm, pray, and open up for the blessings of God that are on the way. Now, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, and everybody's welcome to share the Lord's Supper. Uh, you just need to know that you're a follower of Jesus. And you say, well, Glenn, I'm not sure if I've taken that step. Well, if you're not sure, right in front of you there in the book rack is a card that says resource. 
And if you just uh, look that over, it tells how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a little suggested prayer there. And if you've ever prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, become a follower of Jesus, uh, you can do that privately in your own heart. But then you show it publicly by receiving the cup and the bread, which say outwardly, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have received him as my Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. I've been cleansed by the shed blood of Christ on the cross. I've been cleansed by his body, the bread given for us on the cross. And so we honor him in this way. And if you have a follower of Jesus or if you choose to be a follower today, you are welcome uh, to share the Lord's Supper with us right now. So let's take just a moment and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.